Carl Henry said this, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Do you understand there's a waiting world? The question this morning is, are you a willing church? Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 9. Matthew 9, I'm just going to pack a few verses. Pastor Peter gave me a time limit, and I told him I'd try to cut it short. He goes, if you go that short, they're going to love you more than they love me because I preach longer. I go, I'm going shorter, baby. You call me brother. I'm going shorter. <laughs> Matthew 9, 36 through 38. Here's what it says. But when he, now who's he? Jesus, saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I, I love to look at a verse of scripture. Truth of the matter is, I just like to look at one verse of scripture at a time. I know Jason, you're back there just thinking, I'm so thankful he's not on First Thessalonians. Todd joke the other night at the football game and goes, Dad, are you going to go into First Thessalonians? I go, I certainly could. I've only got the verse 3. I mean, there's a lot more to unpack. There's, I love to just look at all the truth and riches that are in a verse or a passage of Scripture. So I just jotted these down. Here's how I write my sermons now. I had a guy the other day, a young man down in Bradenton that I'm kind of starting maybe to mentor and pour into a little bit, encourage maybe a better way. I'd really like to come alongside of guys and encourage them. And so he's asking me questions about sermon preparation. I told him, I just... I do most of my sermon preparations in my devotional time. You know, as I read God's Word, I just start jotting down, and I just chew it over. Sometimes I'll pull off the road or leave myself a voice message just to remember something or a sermon point or an illustration or how I want to connect it. And I jotted these down on my couch. I jotted these down on my couch while I was listening, watching the old Western Tombstone. How many of you ever watched Tombstone? Love Westerns. This is what I jotted down. Number one, eyes that see. Number two, a heart that acts. Number three, a plan that liberates. Number four, a team that is unified. Number five, a discipline that fulfills. Well, what do we find here in Matthew 9? It says, but when he saw the multitudes, when he saw the multitudes, we seldom see people today. Why? Our face is in our cell phone. We're so caught up in technology, we're so caught up on the next thing to do, we don't take the time to see. Do you understand that if we're going to reach people, we got to see the people that we need to reach? So we need to have, like Jesus, we need to have eyes that see. By the way, the church has been real bad about being judgmental. The church has been real bad about making people feel bad because they don't look like us. How many of you are glad my wife don't look like me? Raise your hand. All right. Can I get a witness there? Amen. Do you know I had a pastor say to me, I want you to be so in line with what we do as a church that you could come off the mission field and you can plug into my church and you can be a staff member at any time, anywhere. That's what he said to me. And I remember thinking to myself, that is idiotic. I mean, did we marry the same woman? Do we like the same food? I understand doctrinally we need to be in agreement, but do you understand God is diverse? 
we're not all supposed to be like one another. So we're not trying to get people in here that are like us. You know who we're trying to reach? People who don't know Jesus. That's it. You don't know Jesus? We want you. Because we want to see people remembering what Christ can do once he touches their lives. Do you remember your life before Christ? I remember my life. I, I remember getting together with three teenage girls on a Friday night going to the pool hall in Derry, Pennsylvania, walking upstairs and meeting a guy named John and then going with him so he could buy us marijuana at Christian school. I remember that. remember clearly. I remember rolling the marijuana into joints under Derry Bridge and getting so scared that I took off running and ran home for five miles and never stopped. I remember that. And can I tell you something? I remember the Jeff without Christ. And now I remember and can see what Christ is doing in my life daily. He's not finished yet. But so when we look at people, when we see people, let's not see them through our eyes. Let's see them thinking, I wonder what Jesus could do with that. I wonder what differences would be present remembering what Christ can do. But also refuse the small gospel mentality. What's the small gospel mentality? We're getting it done here. Our church is growing. Our youth group's going to Nicaragua. I mean, come on. We, we just did a building program. Our mission's giving work. It's going to go up this year. No, refuse that small gospel mentality. See, we have got to step outside of this comfort zone of Lakeland and see people around the world who not only do not have a church, who haven't even heard the name of Jesus. Refuse the small gospel mentality. But then let's look further down in this verse. But when he saw the multitudes, it says this, he was moved with compassion. Now, have you ever seen somebody and thought to yourself, well, there's a homeless person. It would be nice to buy them something to eat and then not actually bought them anything to eat? How many of you ever had that happen? Huh? You've saw a need, but you haven't responded. Aren't you glad that's not how God operates? You see, he, ha he sees, but he has a heart that acts. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He acts, a heart that acts. He was moved with compassion. I am a do-funky when it comes to compassion. I'm just not naturally oozing with compassion. It's just not my high spiritual gift. But do you understand that regardless of what our personality bent is, that we need to be compassionate people? So I should be growing in my compassion for my wife. I've been really convicted this furlough about my relationship with my wife and how it's not what it needs to be in my relationship with her. And I can tell you, if I was to take a, 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 a temperature of my compassion and my love, many times with my wife, it's not very high. I asked my wife here today on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you say a relationship with? None of your business. I'm not telling you. It was a conversation with my <laughs> wife about. But I can tell you this. I can tell you this. And Natalie, you ain't going to be asking her either. All right? Mind your own business. But I can tell you this. When compassion flows from our heart, that score is going to go up. 
So we have to have a heart that acts. So Jesus saw, but then he was moved with compassion. So you know what we need to do? We need to heap grace and mercy on other people. Not be judgmental. Not try to make them like we think they need to look. Marty Fullerton played as drums for Patsy Cline. I'll see Marty in here in just a few days when I'm up in Ohio. It's a big archery hunter, friend of mine. Marty told me that when he came to Jesus, he was so excited because he had a genuine encounter with Jesus. And he came into church, and the first thing that somebody said to him in the church was, well, brother, you need to get your hair cut because it's too long. That's the first thing they said to him. Now, we, we, you could say, oh, that's terrible. We could snicker and think that's stupid. But the reality is, sadly, that's many times what the church is known for, that we expect people to be like us. So, by the way, people that come to visit us in the village, you're going to be very uncomfortable if you think you're going to village, come to the village and we're going to wear a suit and a tie because it don't ever happen. We have people that come to church with plastic shoes on. Their hands are dirty. They've still got dirt under their toenails because they live and work out in the villages and that's the work that they do. It's a different style of living. But guess what? We're not trying to make them like us. We're trying to let Jesus transform him them into the person he wants them. We just want to act with compassion. And we want to heap grace and mercy on them. And we want to reject this hypocritical religiosity that says if you come to Jesus and you need to be like us, you need to dress like us, you need to do everything like us. Where did we get that from? Where, where did that come from? It's not biblical. They need to be like Jesus. Not like, I don't need more clones. There was a pastor back in the day when he'd preach, and he'd always do like this cough. And so the guys that came out of his school, they'd preach, and they'd do this little cough, imitating them. Did you understand? That is not what we're supposed to do. Antonio is not supposed to pattern his life after everything that Jeff does. Luis is not supposed to pattern his life after everything that Jeff does. They are supposed to be the Luis and the Antonio that God has created them to be. So we need to reject this hypocritical religiosity when we're trying to make people like us or like the person we think they need to be. No, a heart that acts, an exercise, balance, generosity. Now, we need to give to people. If their house has been burnt, we need to respond. I was in Jamaica, though, in June, and I'm walking up and down the street, kind of taking the temperature of this area around the orphanage because we want to plant a church there. And I had people come up to me and say, would you give us uh, money to build a house? They asked me that, several people. And so I was able to quickly ascertain whatever has been, been done in this orphanage in the past, we're not doing that in the future because we're not here just to give handouts. That's not what we're about. So we need to respond, but we need to also have balanced generosity and how we're giving. We want to empower people, but we certainly don't want to enable them. Eyes that see, a heart that acts. But then it says, because they fainted. A plan that liberates. We did a triathlon back in August. Now, Tyler has done several of these, but we did a family triathlon. Now, there's been many times in life when my wife has not been impressed with me. But she was really not impressed that I signed us up for the family triathlon. <laughs> But we did it, and I think she did it out of a sense of guilt because Toy wanted to do it. Toy's a great swimmer. So Toy swam. I rode the bike. Beth ran. 
So we get there, we do this triathlon. Now, remember, I didn't swim. When I got on the bike, I, I mean, I was flying by people like they were sitting still. And by the time I got to the finish line, to where I took the bracelet off my ankle and stuck it on Beth so she could start running to 5K, I had nothing to give. Nothing to give. I was, I was so weak when I got there, I literally thought, I'm going to pass out. I mean, I was very faint. Have you ever felt faint in your life? So, you know what Jesus is telling us here? Hey, we need to have a plan that liberates people that feel that way. Because people feel faint in this world. So maybe we have it together, or we've duped ourselves into thinking that we have it together. But understand there's people out there that are suffering, and they need to be liberated. So we need to have a plan that liberates them. By the way, that's why we go outside of the church with the gospel. We don't sit in the church and wait for them to come to us. We, we go out. We need to have a plan that liberates. By the way, our family that did the, the triathlon, we did it as a co-ed team. We got first place. Yeah. Beth said, though, no, she doesn't ever want to do another one again. <laughs> but I thought it was a lot of fun. We, we enjoyed it as a family. But I sure was faint when I finished on that bike run. I imagine Tori and Beth were probably pretty faint after their participation. So what about this plan that liberates? We need to help those who are chained. Boy, doesn't sin enslave us? I was in the village the other day, it was September, and we were doing this, this outreach uh, for the baseball in the leadership clinic. And we were there, and I saw these boys on the street, and they were fighting, and I couldn't figure out what was happening. And they were breaking glass bottles, and they were going at each other, they cut each, cut each other up. And here these boys are sniffing thinner and, and shoe polish and different things, and they're just out of their mind, and they're mixing it with alcohol. Do you know, we better have a plan that liberates those boys. So Dawn Wilcox was a girl, I really didn't know her that well, but she went to, to school with my sister Julie, and now she's really focused in Pennsylvania where, where drugs have just taken over in the town I've grown up. She's really focused on, on making a, a, a concerted effort to deliver those that are chained. And I sent her a message the other day. I said, Dawn, my dad told me the work you're doing. Man, I'd really like to get together because i got these issues that I'm dealing with in the village, and I really want to form a plan because these young people, they're chained with drugs. They're chained with addiction. Help those who are chained. But you know what? We just can't go in there and provide help. We got to point them to Jesus. It doesn't do us any good if we don't point people to Jesus. We're just prolonging their suffering, the inevitable that they're going to die without Christ and go to hell. So we have to point them to Jesus. But then it says this, the laborers are few. Huh. We need to have a team that is unified. It says labor is plural, does it not? We need to work together. That's why you have missionaries and you have churches. We labor together as a team, a team that is unified. By the way, a team that is unified doesn't mean that we see everything the same. I, I just, again, I don't understand why we go out from that angle in the church. We're not supposed to see everything the same. I'm not talking about differences of doctrine. But you understand that the methodology that I use in the villages is markedly different than the methodology that you use here. It's just different. It's not the same. We can't expect that exactly how we plant a church in the U.S. is going to translate, and we're going to be able to do that in other parts of the world. It doesn't work that way. I'm, I'm talking with guys now about a work in Egypt. 
And this work in Egypt is Muslim, obviously. And there was this church that wanted to take over the work over there in Egypt. So they came to the founder of this mission in Egypt. They said, we'll give you $8,000 a month for you to step away. And while you live, $8,000 a month, just give the ministry to us. And the guy said, I can't give the ministry to you. And I'll never give it to you. The guy said, why? He goes, because you want to come in and preach on pants on women. He goes, we can't encourage our women to wear pants because in a Muslim culture, when they have on their outfit, if they don't have pants underneath them, the men come by with a stick and they lift it up to expose their immodesty. He goes, your way of doing the gospel would never work here. Isn't that sad? I'm glad the guy doesn't have the ministry. I don't think he'd have done a good job with it anyhow. But do you understand, when I'm talking about a team that is unified, I'm talking about not being unified on pants on women or not pants on women. I'm talking about being unified on together for the gospel on getting the gospel out, on taking the gospel where it's never been, unified as a team, telling people about Jesus that the hope that they're looking for, that the peace that they long for can only be found in him. Together for the gospel, but intentional in our ongoing recruitment. We are not winning with recruiting young people to go into missions. Now, right now, read the book, Toxic Charity. You'll see how much short-term mission trips have grown in the U.S. And by the way, I'm not saying don't take them. I'm saying, though, many churches today, I had a pastor last week said to me, Jeff, you're struggling to raise money for your family now because churches would rather give money to short-term ventures and not to long-term partners. It's true. Billions of dollars are being spent in the U.S. for short-term missions trips. But understand, it's good that we take our kids, but we need to understand and we need to see, embrace as a church, we have to be active in recruiting young people to go to the mission field. It is not enough for you to support missionaries. You need to be sending them. You need to be prayerfully, daily, asking God to send those out from your church. Intentional or ongoing recruitment. Then lastly, a discipline that fulfills. We talked about angels this morning in Sunday school class, and how God, Hebrews 13, how he literally allows angels to come into our lives at certain times to bless us, and many times we're clueless. We didn't even know what happened. I gave an illustration that happened when Beth was in a car wreck in Mexico, how a guy carried her up the hill. He had on a white shirt. He drove a white truck, and, and, and Beth's boat had literally come out of her leg from this car wreck when her dad and mom went down to Carretero to begin learning the Spanish language. And in She's being carried up the hill by this guy, and she just remembers as a, bad, a girl feeling bad because he had blood all over him. And Dad Ard wanted to find this guy and thank him. And when he got to the hospital, they literally, if I understand the story, said, we didn't even see such a guy. So do you understand? God is putting angels and people in our path to help us and guide us. But you think about this discipline that fulfills, pray ye therefore. Do you understand what our prayers do? No, we don't, because many times we can't even see it. How can we quantify what we cannot see? But understand that when we pray that God will send forth labors in this harvest, it is helping us to fulfill the Great Commission. So when we're diligent in prayer, it is actively working. We never waste time when we pray. We never waste time when we're on our knees. How do you do? How are you doing? Oh, yeah, praying for your missionaries, you should be doing that. How are you doing? 
in praying that God would send forth laborers into his harvest. I went into a church. I got to tell you, sometimes I go into a church. You know, the gospel light attracts an awful lot of odd bugs. And so I go into this church, and, you know, and I just sometimes I'm just, I'm just like hesitant to walk into some of these churches. I'm glad my family's not with me. I don't even know what the pastor's going to say to me. And I walk into this church, and this lady came up, was come up to me. And immediately in my mind, I looked at the lady, social profiled her, and judged her. I did. You say, oh, I can't believe you. You do it all the time. And I'm thinking, she's an odd duck. And do you know what the first thing that she said? Hello, Jeff. It's good to see you. How is Elizabeth Victoria Tyler doing? I pray for you every day. I don't even know her name. I have no idea what her name is. She's praying for my family every day. Understand that when we pray for people, it does things that we can never see. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. He will send forth laborers into his harvest. Practice FPG. Now, we're going to talk about faith promise giving. We're going to talk about grace giving. But what about faith prayer giving? What about praying by faith? God, there's no church in this country. God, there's no missionary in this country. I pray by faith that you would touch somebody's heart and send them there. Lord, maybe you touch my child's heart. Lord, maybe you touch somebody in our youth group. Faith, prayer, giving. But then how about passionately recruit new laborers? I recognize now with the, so many moving parts and reach ministries and now working with the church out of Atlanta and Jamaica and possibly in Egypt and now looking at the MTI, the Missionary Training Institute. But at first, I just didn't really grasp that whole Missionary Training Institute. But boy, you know what? The more I think about it, it's just really starting to hit home with me. How crucial it is for us to be intentional with our young people. Keeping missions in front of them, letting them know that the harvest is plenteous and laborers are free, and we are intentionally working so they can get plugged in, serving Christ on the mission field. Well, a waiting world, a willing church. If we look at Scripture, there's many different reasons why we must love, why we must participate in missions. Avoid this passage, we need to have eyes that see a heart that acts, a plan that liberates, a team that is unified, and a discipline that fulfills. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for this church this morning, for all the changes that have happened here. Yes, physical changes in the property, in the building, but spiritual changes, miracles that have happened are happening here. We thank you for that. But we're asking that you would help us not just to be here at Parkway, a normal church. Help us not just to do the regular mission thing, have a conference, have a mission emphasis Sunday, talk about missions, but really not be all in. I don't know where different people are. I don't know what changes they need to make. But I pray they'd be all in with you that they'd open their eyes and they'd see a world that is waiting for the gospel. And they'd be willing to do whatever, no matter what it cost, to take the gospel to every creature. In Jesus' name.